social media is a weird place and I don't know how to navigate it. I feel much more comfortable in the confines of a newsletter. The medium of the newsletter where you're going to somebody's email is really, I, it makes sense to me and I get it and I love it. Welcome to the Substack Podcast, where we have conversations with independent writers, bloggers, thinkers, and creatives of every background. Hey, Zach. Thanks for coming on the Substack Podcast. Hey, Nadia. Thanks for having me. Happy to have you. So you write the Trip Report, which covers the business, policy, and impact of psychedelics, which is a really fun topic. Yeah. Um, first question, which I'm sure a lot of people ask you, is how did you start writing about psychedelics? Huh. Well, um, I, I had sort of I've been watching sort of the development of um, of a few of the organizations that have been funding the science. I, uh, there's been some research over the last twenty odd years or so of um, really small um, studies of looking at psychedelics for things like depression and and um, cancer related anxiety and some other you know indications, and um, they're kind of like really impressive. Um, results um, for really challenging conditions. So I'd been watching this and sort of watching it grow and, and wa- felt like I missed the boat of like a career of being involved in this space. And I knew I wasn't going to go back to you know school to be a scientist or I didn't quite know how to get in. So I started writing about it and, and here we are. Love it. I mean, it seems yeah. like you have been involved in or, or <clears throat> in and around um, both Eastern and Western medicine and that you have this sort of like ongoing interest in the human body. And I guess psychedelics sort of helps bridge that, that gap. I spent uh, my first like kind of stint in, in a career was in clinical research um, right at college. I did HIV and hep C clinical trials. So I managed um, what's called a expanded access program um, in phase two pharmacokinetic studies. Um, and that was really cool. I was planning to be, you know, go to medical school and, and be a doctor um, and just through whatever sort of circumstances, um, I, I decided at some point to pursue acupuncture and Chinese medicine. So I went to acupuncture school after that. I did have a, a brief stint in Silicon Valley. That was a huge embarrassing failure. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I've been, I've been working with patients primarily for conditions like chronic musculoskeletal pain for the last uh, five or six years. And my research into sort of the workings of the nervous system and pain and, and that um, sort of brought me, you know, kind of back into sort of understanding psychedelics from, you know, uh, um, a scientific perspective. And it's really interesting. So I thought I kind of had this like audacious idea that I might be able to kind of offer some insight in in that um, because I think that there's a lot of overlap and a lot of similarities. psychedelic, you know, as, as, as tools for spiritual development and, and, and as medicines goes back thousands of years across cultures. So, um, it had some, there's some parallels between that and Chinese medicine that I, that I'm really interested in. And I've start, I've just started to kind of explore in, in the trip report. Where do you see psychedelics fitting in since you've been around both clinical research and, um, Chinese medicine? Is there an ideal, I guess, in terms of whether you would like it to be taken into one of those specific sorts of disciplines or like how you would like the world to see and treat psychedelics? Well, that's, that's like, uh, that's like the $64 million question. So like, there's, 
you know, what I what I've been thinking about is like I'm I'm covering the news like that's coming through, especially in like the business and the policy side of psychedelics. But I'm also trying to kind of generate like kind of just collect like themes or concepts or ideas. And and one of the main sort of like um, uh, concepts that we're sort of grappling with or thinking about or communicating about is, is sort of like the different ways that like this, this grows, right? So we have what's, what's happened recently in Oakland and, and Denver, where there's been a decriminalization or, or really a deprioritization of um, psilocybin in Denver and then, you know, and theogenic plants or so things like ayahuasca, peyote, or maybe not peyote, um, uh, uh, psilocybin in, 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 in Oakland. And so that's like one of these like vehicles, so to speak, of, of sort of broadening access. Um, on the other end of the sort of spectrum is like the FDA route. So there's been, there's a few companies and, and nonprofits that are developing pharmaceutical grade psychedelics for, you know, prescription use, right? So um, there's, and, and that's like, the, that's like this really interesting area where there's going to be trade-offs and um, sort of you know, pros and cons to all of these different sort of means of, of, of changing policy and, and, and um, stuff like that. So the way I'm thinking about it is like, there's two, my perspective is like, um, I, I like a decriminalization and, um, you know, Portugal um, has kind of been like this model for drug reform where they, they've decriminalized all drug use, right? So if, if the, you're not going to go to jail for, um, possession or intoxic or uh, intoxication, perhaps maybe, but um, drug possession has been completely decriminalized, right? So you have this opportunity to uh, kind of reform people, you know, uh, rehab um, people rather than put them in prison. Anyway, the the opportunity I think to conduct you know psychedelic assisted therapy or guide or um, journeys in a in a non-medical context i would really love to see and that's sort of where it might resemble more like a chinese medicine acupuncture approach um on the other end of the spectrum is the the opportunity for the fda to say you know this science looks great there's let's approve this as 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 um pharmaceutical grade um drugs right um and that would then be sort of delivered in a more kind of conventional medical setting so I, I think I think it's going to be sort of take some time to sort of for these different options to to sort of grow and to and to to blossom. But I'm hoping that there's like a diversification and some sort of you know diversity within the, the ways that people are able to access and use them. It seems a little bit like there's this like towing of the line of wanting to frame it at, in medical terms to establish legitimacy while also not doing a disservice to the nature of psychedelics, which might be inherently does have this spiritual aspect to it that a lot of people find very fulfilling. Um, are there any learnings from what's happened with cannabis research, which is, I'm sort of just like casual uh, connoisseur of information in both these realms, but um, it seems like it's a little bit further ahead. And so are there any, is there anything that parallels uh, what's happening in cannabis with psychedelics? From the science perspective, like the, the the body of literature in psychedelics is like much larger and more expansive than than we have for cannabis, and that has to do with sort of issues around funding and and, and regulation and access to that that scientists can 
get access to cannabis. It's a really weird, bizarre thing where they can only get it from like a university that's growing it in Alabama or Arkansas or something. Whereas psychedelics, it hasn't had, for whatever reasons, like the the capacity to to manufacture it and create sort of pharmaceutical grade um, psilocybin or or LSD or DMT. Um, in a bizarre, it hasn't been as difficult, right? So there's been more research. Um, on the other hand, the the I, I would say the the patterns of use in in cannabis are way different than they are in psychedelic. Microdosing sort of of LSD and psilocybin is a little bit more sort of how how cannabis is used. But I would say that there's like some overlaps, right? Like these are Schedule One, you know, uh, illegal substances that are you know kind of moving through policy and science and, and, and reform. So there's, you know, in that sense, psychedelics are like, you know, somewhere between five and 10 years behind cannabis and marijuana. The predominant business model in cannabis has been like, um, you know, as a consumer package good, right. You, you go to a, a store, a cannabis store, um, and you, you, you take some home and, and, and whatever. Um, it's kind of more like coffee than it is, you know, a pharmaceutical drug, whereas psychedelics, what's being proposed by, by sort of the FDA sort of would be like a same day sort of like hospital visit where you kind of go in for an extended period of time and then leave at the end of the day to a specialized clinic. They're categorically different in that sense. What's interesting is that Oregon has a state measure that is going to be on the ballot, presumably in November, um, called the Psilocybin Services Initiative, where they, they're creating sort of like a medical psilocybin sort of system where um, there's going to be, you know, infrastructure and regulation around the manufacturer and the sale, but that will go to a clinic. So the access to natural mushrooms or, or whatever the, the patient decides would be through a clinic setting. So that's really interesting. And it kind of parallels like early days of, of medical marijuana in California, with the exception of sort of the, the delivery model. There's a ton of overlap. There's a ton of differences. And, and we, a lot of us spend a lot of time trying to figure out and sort of tease apart the, the, the similarities and differences. You've sort of been alluding to this as you've been talking, but can you tell us a little bit uh, just about like why psychedelics are so interesting right now and what's changed recently in terms of policy and research? Um, maybe just a, a useful exercise would be like, what would it have been like writing a newsletter about psychedelics, say, 10 years ago versus now? Why is now such an interesting time? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so I would say the, the I, I kind of think of there's an organization called MAPS, which stands for the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies. Studies or science? I think it's studies. And they've been around since 1986. And they have been like doing the slow plotting policy work and, and scientific work to sort of kind of bring us to where we are, so to speak, them and others. Um, there's a couple other groups, the Hefter Research Group, um, but it, it's the, the, de- the, the prohibition um, of psychedelics, I think it was in 71, the schedule, like the... Um, the Nixon administration sort of just kind of caught wind of Timothy Leary and the hippies and sort of got really afraid. And that was in the early seventies. And so there was a ton of research that had been done up until that point, mainly in psychiatry around um, addiction, um, substance abuse, 
depression, anxiety, those kinds of things. And it was really promising. And so we're the scientists in the 2000s, early 2000s sort of had to like kind of start from scratch, right? Science has changed dramatically. The tools available have changed dramatically. So there's been a, 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 a recapitulation back to sort of a you know, two or three generations ago um, of building the scientific body of work, right? And so one of those has one of those projects has been um, spearheaded by MAPS, which is MDMA for the treatment of of um, post traumatic stress disorder. And so they have in the last they're, they're in the what's called the phase three um, of of the FDA approval process where they're doing um, sort of large scale studies on on patients with PTSD to show um, efficacy, efficacy and, 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 and that it works. And so it's like the, the kind of the final stage. Um, and there's a few other companies that are, and, and nonprofits that are sort of shortly behind them. So it's kind of like in the FDA approval process, it's, it's a long grind. And so we're sort of in the last two to, you know, year and a half to maybe two years with the first, um, wave of, of, of psychedelics to, that will be approved. So that definitely has something to do with it. Um, Michael Pollan's book, um, How to Change Your Mind, was, uh, was definitely a watershed moment um, because he sort of represented, you know, sort of, quote unquote, respectable culture commenting on the, the benefits and, the, and, the, and his experience with, with psychedelics. So um, that was definitely a, they coincided, right, th- those two sort of streams. And so I think the aftermath of that, which I think it was published in maybe 2018, there's just been a huge sort of, you know, surge. And then cannabis, right? The cannabis sort of, um, uh, it's, it's sort of like the next wave of, of cannabis, so to speak, which, you know, we, some of us have some issues with that sort of phrasing, but that's what it is essentially. So I'd say those three things sort of have combined into this like perfect storm of, okay, we're in this period of time now where uh, there's a lot of hype. There's a lot of sort of cultural and media exposure to sort of this new way of looking at psychedelics. Um, and it's, you know, it's just sort of gaining momentum and fomenting excitement. It's interesting you bring up the Michael Pollan book because I do feel like that was, it, it, in my mind, just sort of as an outsider watching it, it felt like the moment where this kind of thing crossed over from being I guess I would have expected the types of people that would want to follow along on, psych- on psychedelics news are like people that are using it themselves or have some sort of like, I, I guess, like deep personal interest in it. And it's sort of this thing mm-hmm. like hush hush. And it felt like Michael Col- Michael Pollan using his social capital to shed light on this topic made it suddenly then okay to talk to people about it and not have this sort of fear around, am I, am I, uh, do I look like I'm a weirdo or something if I, if yeah. I talk about this kind of thing? Totally. And I think there was also like the, I lived in San Francisco from 2005 until 2012. And um, it, 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 when I, whenever I go back to visit, it feels like a very different place. But um, one of the things I would say is like more kids or people that would have gone into like, other industries ended up in the Bay Area because of the rise of like the technology industry. And a lot of them and then ended up going to Burning Man. And so there is like, uh, like that phenomena, I think sort of like exposed a lot of people to, you know, just the, the, the expansion of the tech sector, 
expose people to Burning Man and Burning Man exposes people to psychedelics. It's something like that. And almost Um, helps normalize it a little bit of... Yeah. Yeah. It's a shared experience that people can... A shared cultural reference point that people can talk about in the Bay Area. Totally. And like one of the, you know, Tim Ferriss is, you know, a major sort of person that people know and and he has... um, uh, talked about it sort of in a, in a few different instances on his podcast. Um, there's a physician by the name of Peter Atia who's got a great podcast. It's very informative, super high level. Um, but his first episode was with Tim Ferriss, and they were talking about essentially like the, the, the utility of psychedelics for a lot of these conditions. So it, it just it, it's just sort of like kind of, you know, it kind of hit an inflection point through, through – various things. And, and, and so here we are. Yeah. And I mean, it feels like there's yeah. been this increase in the number of people who are writing about psychedelics. Um, like I can think of a couple different newsletters now that are starting to cover this topic. Um, and you're starting to mention some names here. Can you paint a picture for us of just who or what else is out there in terms of trusted information sources around these emerging topics and where the Trump report fits in? The key insight that I had, or sort of like the, the thought that I had that kind of gave me the, um, the thought to, to start doing this was like, I thought the, the science is well covered by places like maps, um, the Hefter Institute, um, the cultural and the, um, indigenous use sort of like the spiritual use is, is covered well, um, by places like the, one of the main sort of organizations is a group called Chakruna, Chakruna Institute. Um, they're a nonprofit. They have a newsletter. They have a conference. Um, they're well respected and sort of a sort of like a, a guiding voice in the space. Um, and so, I thought there was this sort of burgeoning, you know, industry forming here, um, and it's gonna it's gonna be a really interesting sort of nexus of, you know. C- consciousness, whatever that means to to people, spirituality. Um, neuroscience, healthcare, uh, clinical research, um, capital, capitalism, business startups, pharmaceutical industry. Like it was just this sort of like, uh, um, I mean, endlessly fascinating sort of topics in their own right are all sort of converging in this, in this area. Um, and so I thought there was really, there wasn't much in the, in the way of coverage of what are the businesses sort of forming in this space? What are the strategies? What are the plans? Are they going to be tackling, um, you know, a decriminalization? So are they hoping for decriminalization that they could sell it, you know, mushrooms in a market in the way that we do with cannabis? Um, Is it going to be strictly um, FDA approved route? So I had I mean, there's all these questions for, you know, and, and sort of businesses forming about it. And I thought it would just be an interesting way to one sort of have an audience that would, would read. Cause I started with the idea of like, I want to be like the Ben, I want to be the stratechery of, you know, uh, of psychedelics. That was sort of like the key insight. I thought that there was a, an opportunity to do that. And, and so I just wanted to explore and learn and kind of use it as a self edification tool to figure out what, what companies were trying to do. Um, and so there's, there's a handful of other sort of people sort of that are looking at that are kind of gearing their publications towards like what I would call like day traders or like people who are solely sort of in, 
interested in like the investment, you know, um, potential. Um, cause there's a handful of companies that are traded publicly up in Canada. Um, and my, my, I, I try to position the trip report, I guess it's like, it's constantly changing, which is a challenging thing. Um, but as like this, you know, people who are trying to build like the long-term ecosystem. So there is kind of touches on, you know, news announcements and stuff like that from different companies, but I'm really interested in sort of like what are the long-term forces shaping this, this space and how are, what are the questions that we need to answer and, and that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, from the like sort of more conventional vices kind of consistently writing about it, um, more and more pieces are showing up in like places like fortune and Forbes. Um, uh, so it's, it's slowly sort of like growing into this space of, of, you know, more and more coverage. I mean, 60 minutes had a, a special on, on psychedelics, um, that aired last summer or again in October, um, where they talked to researchers and, and, and participants in the, in the cancer for anxiety trial. So, um, yeah, the, the, those are sort of like the, the other sort of areas where, where news is, is getting covered, I'd say. And so my, my goal is to like, I don't know, kind of carve out this weird business policy, opinion analysis type of space. Um, cause I'm just, you know, kind of figuring it out as I go. Cool to think about this interplay between, uh, independent, newsletters, news sources, um, publications, and then like the more traditional media that you're referencing. What do you think mm-hmm. that independent publications can do for this space in psychedelics that traditional media can or couldn't? I think that the the founding, one of the founding theses of, of, of Substack, right, is sort of the, a, a, a reader supported publication. Um, you know, journalism, media has kind of jumped the shark chasing clicks and, and selling ads and stuff like that. Um, and so I just was really attracted to that. I also like sent emails to like publications, like <laughs> if they would like, you know, take any, any of my writing and I never heard back from everybody. So I was like, okay, I'll start my own. Um, so, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to answer that question. Um, I think what, what I'm trying to do is, is, is catered to people who are sort of like invested in this either because they work for companies that are sort of forming, they are activists and advocates, um, in some capacity, they have a personal sort of investment in psychedelics. It's kind of like, um, almost like B2B with a beta, what I'm calling beta fanatical C, like people are really, invested in in this space right even if they're not professionally invested in it if that makes sense um so that's that was you know an insight that i had that i thought this could work this model could work um you know i don't know there's a handful of podcasts psychedelics today does a good podcast um those guys have been at it for a while like four or five years and and they they have a different sort of approach where they're i believe sort of I'm not sure what lineage they're a part of, but there is like a transhumanist or yeah, I guess um, interpersonal psychology or transhuman psychology sort of schools and fields that they have, they have worked on. So they're coming from that perspective and they offer classes and stuff like that as sort of like a a monetization tool. Um, 
I don't see anybody else sort of doing the the quote unquote Substack model. Um, but you know, in terms of like a if you're writing for the reader, it changes the the calculus instead of if you if you have to write for for to satisfy an advertiser or something like that. I was asking just because I think I, like the opportunity I'm seeing is for we Substack definitely attracts a lot of folks that are focused on some sort of particular niche or community that um, mm-hmm. and so it, it feels almost like if I were trying to get my news from on a, a topic that is maybe not super well understood yet, I would want to hear from people that are like really deeply immersed in it. Mm, um, mm-hmm. or, like, yes, it might be nice every once in a while to get the 60 minute special. And like, I can share that with my yeah. parents or whatever, but like, I don't, I don't know that they, they're not going to really have that like same love, I guess that like yeah. this sort of research and reporting. Um, it feels like for like, there's some sort of like mental Venn diagram ahead, I guess of like, topics that are rapidly developing and then like Mm -hmm. topics that are like not well understood. And there's this really great opportunity to be like a curator and like a go-to person at space where um, like, yeah, if you're writing about a topic, like people and like tons of people are getting interested and not that many people know about it, like being the dedicated, like go-to person in that space is really valuable. Totally. Um, Yeah. Something from your about page that like always sticks in my head uh, where you said something about like, don't destroy your dopamine system, like looking for the like, let me let me destroy mine on your on, on your behalf, and I just feel like that really speaks to like the value of like curators for these sorts of topics. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a, that's a good way of of, of phrase, framing it. And and one of the things that I, I is sort of like a constant, uh, I don't want to say struggle, but a, a, an interesting thing to think about is like what level of knowledge am I assuming of the readers, <clears throat> and how much explaining um, needs to go into something. Um, which is just inherently sort of like, you know, I don't think there's ever going to be a definite answer to that question, but it's something to, you know, so for like the, for what I'm calling the trip report pro, which is like the, the paid subscribers, which goes out on Monday and Friday, <clears throat> it's a little bit more conversation. Maybe they're all conversational, but it assumes a little bit more knowledge. I think I try than, um, than the, than the Wednesday post, which is goes out to everybody. Um, but yeah, I, and, and also that sort of idea between curation and analysis and um, capture of, of, of different sort of, whether it's an article that was written or news event or topic. I mean, that that's something that I'm constantly sort of retooling and rethinking. And and it's it's virtually different for every time I, I sit down to write. Um, but yeah, I agree. Like, I couldn't. I, I I don't think I would be able to jump around from different industries or different um, kind of topics um, and do it as as frequently for sure. Um, like diving into something that I've never sort of learned about for you know two days to to to, to publish on deadline would be a real challenge for me. Um, and so yeah, I, I completely agree. That's a good that's a good way of thinking about it. What is your um, community of readers like? Can you tell us a little bit more about like the types of people that subscribe to Trip Report? Uh, you're talking a little bit about that difference between like people that pay for it versus people that might be kind of wandering in. I remember I was listening to I think an interview of Robert Cottrell, who writes another Substack um, called the, the Browser, and he had a good he had a great sort of insight where he was like he he asked you guys to like uh, 
not show him like what people are clicking on. Um, and so I kind of have that same sort of like perspective um, of like people you get, I get in emails from readers. And so I connect with people in that way. And I've had a, a number of conversations and Zoom calls, and it's been really fun to get to know people that way. Uh, but it's a really small percentage of the overall readership. So the dedicated you know, readers, the people who are sort of paying for uh, the pro subscription are, um, they're working in the space. They're, they're attorneys, they're scientists, they're uh, clinicians, they're, um, they're people um, who are, have money on the line, who are investors, um, they're executives at these, at the, at the companies that are forming, um, on the one hand. And then there's like, uh, uh, like I said, sort of like this fanat, like fanatical maybe is a, is a, is a pejorative, but they're really into it. And, and, and they're super fired up about these questions and, and, and what's going to happen and, and, and how it's going to go and what does the future hold? Um, and they're like, um, you know, there's a, a, a neuroethicist from Oxford uh, who's getting his PhD at Oxford, who's, who was one of the early readers. Um, there's a, a handful of like pharmacy and students and pharmacists who are sort of interested in this because that's going to be a really interesting area of, of how this inter, interacts with like uh, the pharmacy sort of like portion of the of the value chain in in um, in, in pharmaceuticals and um so it's pretty wide, I would say, of the, and then, and then, you know, I, I really, unless like people have reached out or I've like taken the time to like Google them, <laughs> I don't, there's a, there's a lot of people who I just don't know. Um, but that's also kind of cool because it, it, I presume it's a pretty wide swath of, of, of people. Do you talk to like other folks that are, oh, I assume you do, of um, who are also involved in the psychedelics community? Like where where do you feel like you get your trusted sources of information? Like how are you creating mm -hmm. this information? Do you have like systems around um, reading the news or certain places, yeah. like certain people you're talking to? Um, so I'm, I'm working on this. This is like an ever sort of green topic of like the process of like collecting information reading through it, distilling it, trying to sort of figure out what I, what's interesting me and what sort of, what can kind of be turned into an article or a post or what headline deserves to be in the, you know, mentioned. Um, so I don't have a great system. I'm definitely not doing reporting. Like I don't, like I don't, I'm not a journalist by training. And so um, I don't claim to be, although I was just asked to write um, a piece for another sort of um, for a, a, an outlet called Lucid News, which is like uh, another sort of publication dedicated to psychedelics um, by people, started by people who have been in this space for a long time. And and that was a really nice sort of kind of vote of confidence. Um, so I'm going to be doing some reporting where like I actually reach out for quotes and sort of check sources and stuff like that. But really it's... Um, I'm flying by the seat of my pants, to be honest with you. Um, I collect in, I, I kind of got my Google alerts. I scroll through, you know, social media. Um, I, there's a handful of people who I sort of have, you know, kind of regular email back and forth with or, you know, um, phone calls, um, 
just to like check in and see what's going on and, and, and touch base. So it's, um, I would very, I would love to be more organized because I'm up until like three o'clock in the morning, too many nights a week, like trying to get this out and proofread. And, um, so my, my sleep is definitely taking a toll, but you know, I, I think that there's some value in sort of like, you know, working with the garage door up, I think is the phrase that like, mm. you know, you kind of like learning on the fly, kind of showing your work, right? I, I actually in the last in the last post, I said, like, I appreciate your patience with like, sort of the, the, um, the kind of the nature of this, I'm trying to like, figure it out. And, and not that anybody has like, complained or anything, but um, it's something I'm conscious of. I think bringing out that, that side is and showing that sort of transparency and honesty is really appreciated by people because they know that you're doing all this work to um to bring them only the best stuff right i mean you share yeah. um you mentioned robert from the the browser and i, I think it was it might have actually been another subsec writer um was it, oh gosh i want to say it was dan shipper i'm not sure someone who had interviewed him about his process and um, i think the title of the article was something like the man who reads a thousand articles a day or something like something, re some really crazy mm -hmm. number. Um, I'm sure I'm misquoting it now, but I, like some, it's just has like stood out to me as this, in this image of someone who is reading that like a thousand or thousands of articles every day to only service a few of the best things to someone else. And when you like, when you see that that sort of process is happening, regardless of how it's organized mm -hmm. or what's happened or, or, or what exactly they're doing, it's like, as the reader, you're just like, wow, like, I'm glad you are doing, you are destroying your dopamine system on, <laughs> thank you, please take my money. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I guess I'm, I'm, you know, there's like a, a, a saying, like, only the paranoid survive. And I'm, I'm operating with that principle of like, I, I don't know what's too much. I don't know, like, it, I, I sort of have this, I want to keep some space between, um, the the input and the and the and the and the feedback in the sense that like I I want to continually sort of like push sort of the boundaries of like my capacity to do it if you get and and not to like blow my own whistle but it's like when people reach out and they're like dude this is awesome it's the greatest feeling in the world but it also can it could also like kind of eat away at the quality if that makes sense right you kind of you can you can't get lazy with it um and so I feel I'm, I'm fighting that sort of in some ways because it, it, it's just like a ton of work and it's sort of chaotic and it takes, it's a lot of, it's like emotionally taxing. Like it takes a lot, like you try to want to, I want to make people sort of laugh and, and have sort of a, a, an insight and um, have fun with it. And, and there's a lot of work. And when you're feeling lousy and, and uh, or bummed and, and it's, it's even tougher. I think maybe one of the, secrets to writing consistently is just um, it's a lot of emotional management um i've felt that with my own writing i hear it from a lot of other writers that and and everyone comes up with these sort of adaptive strategies and a lot of people myself included do just like put up that little bit of that mental wall where like it's it's great to know that people love things and it it does feel so good uh when someone says something nice about your work but you don't want to let it get to your head or anything like that and so you kind of just yeah put it off in a corner somewhere and like put up this mental wall and just kind of go heads down and do your thing and like try not to be super affected by uh, how it's being received. 
Because it's yeah, good, it's totally. good. And then when it's like not so good, like you also don't want to feel at the whim of, well, someone said something bad today. So now I, now I feel terrible, you know? And it's like, totally it's, for me, it's like hedging against like, <laughs> it's nice when for the most part, you know, you only hear positive things, but I don't ever want to feel that like one comment can destroy my day tomorrow. It is. It's really, I mean, that was, I guess I didn't appreciate sort of like looking in on people whose sort of like podcasts and writing and, and stuff that I sort of respect and admire, <laughs> like sort of the, the effort that goes into it um, as a, as a, as a, I would say like as a passive sort of like reader, which is kind of how I consider myself up until sort of I started writing sort of newsletters and trying to making an attempt at this kind of thing um, and people actually reading it and, and sort of paying attention to it. Um, it's, 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 a it can be challenging for sure. And I didn't anticipate that. So. Um, can we talk about how you grew your list? Cause like one, one of the reasons that I want to have you on this podcast was that at least from my perspective looking in, I mean, you really, you started, uh, as far as I could tell, like last fall and you really just started from scratch. And I'm just sort of have this like mental image in my head of you being like, screw it, I'm going to start my own thing and just start taking for no one for a while. Um, yeah. And you know you've had this amazing success story of just like growing your list and um, and and growing an audience that would what feels sort of just like one thing one thing at a time and um, I, as far as I can tell like you don't really have a social following or a pre-existing audience that you were drawing from and you're sort of like just like a mysterious figure online and so like how how did you grow this list from like nothing? Uh, well, thank you. That's really um, that's really nice of you to say. Um, I'd say I, I started writing and I sort of wanted to commit to being um, authentic is not the right word, but like I wanted to have fun with it. Like you want to have fun with it and you want to sort of like the term like bleed on the page, right? Not, I think it's Nietzsche who, who that quote is attributed to, but like you want to leave it all out there. Um, I grew up playing soccer and like, the term like leave it on the field is sort of like a, a phrase of like, just like give it your all kind of thing. And what I mean by that is like um, as a self sort of like learning tool, right. Which is like research for your own interests. Like it has a different, I don't know, feel or, or whatever than if you're writing, you know, if you're reading something from, you know, just like another sort of like, I don't know, run of the mill kind of, article or something like that. So um, I started with uh, that in my mind. Like I didn't want to sway from my weird sense of humor and memes and inside jokes and and stuff like that and cursing. Like I will curse and I haven't gotten any complaints on it when there's like an F-bomb in there. Um, and really like, like people who are like professionals in the world, like are okay with it. So that's the nice thing to realize if anybody's thinking about that. So I, I started writing and I started um, sharing it on LinkedIn in, and in Facebook group. And, and then like really sort of rudimentary, like psilocybin, hashtag psilocybin or hashtag psychedelics <clears throat> uh, in Facebook groups that are sort of related to it. And then after, and I didn't tell anybody. Like I didn't tell my parents, I didn't tell my my partner, um, I didn't tell friends because I didn't want to like ruin it, which I think can happen. Um, 
oh, I thought, what happened to your newsletter? Oh, I give it up. Oh, sorry. What, you know, so I didn't want to put that kind of pressure on me. So I didn't tell um, my my fiance until I had like 200 readers, until it was like real and, and like people were sharing it. So anyway, get back to the story. It was just like sharing it in like appropriate groups in Reddit, Facebook, LinkedIn. That's just how I got like the first maybe two to 400 or maybe 300 people. And then I stopped sharing it all together. Social media is a weird place and I don't know how to navigate it. I feel much more comfortable in the confines of a newsletter. The medium of the newsletter where you're going to somebody's email is really, I, it makes sense to me and I get it and I love it. And I just can't stand, like I, my palms sweat when I'm like trying to think of a tweet that goes out to whoever. So um, it's just been word of mouth. I mean, people share it. You can see sort of like, how many times somebody has opened, you know, uh, an email, like a, 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 a Substack email. Um, and it's just been like, people share it and it's been word of mouth, um, which feels really gratifying. And that was like intentional. I wanted to like stop promoting it just to see what would happen. Um, and then occasionally like, um, like there's been like a bunch of like, you know, kind of webinars and like Zoom conferences and stuff like that. And it's getting really nauseating, but occasionally somebody who's like presenting will, will mention it. Um, and if I'm, if I'm there or if somebody's there and they throw like the URL into the, into the chat, like on the Zoom chat or something like that, there's been like some good upticks, like kind of like 50 readers, like all at once. That was pretty cool. Like a, a CEO of like one of the emerging companies sort of told everybody to go read the trip report and and I happened to be watching it and I just put the, the URL into the chat and then I just watched all these like subscribers come online. So it was pretty cool. What was it <clears throat> writing in the early days when you know you're writing for ten people or whatever and uh, and trying to put together these high quality posts but then also feeling like people aren't reading it. Like how do you kind of mentally power through that time? My my inclination is to say like I listen to every episode of like the season one Substack podcast, like just because those are like so much wisdom in there from people who have like done this. And I was like committed to like, I, I remember Bill Bishop talking about it and, um, and Nick Qua and Luke Timmerman in particular, they just described like the life, that, like the type of career and work that I wanted, which is like sort of pouring over a topic that you're super interested in and like passionate about and capturing some of that value. Like I felt like I had been doing that, you know, just in terms of like reading stuff and thinking about stuff for whether it's acupuncture, whether it's pain science, whether it's psychedelics, whether it's, you know, premier league soccer, like I was like, gosh, these guys are just like doing it and it's awesome. And then Jessica Lesson had a, a good point where she was just like, we picked up the phone and we started reporting. I knew that I had this like sort of goal in mind of like doing this kind of work. And it was actually really liberating when no one's reading it. Cause you can, you know, the, you can be more of yourself. You're there. There's less sort of consequences of, of, of misspeaking or, or, and so it wasn't until like I had a, what I thought was like a huge following. Um, cause I had never did this before, um, that I got really tense and I got like really, um, nervous about it so the early days were just kind of it was just it was so much fun i mean it still is so much fun um but it it didn't have some of the some of the pressure that comes along with it 
as it, as it grows, if it makes sense. So funny. That's so true. Now that I'm really thinking about it, I, I feel like now I really romanticize the earliest days of blogging for me, whereas I go back on some of those posts and I'm like, I would have been so embarrassed to publish something like that now. <laughs> yeah, um, for sure. And, but it's so liberating then because like no one's really paying attention. So you're really just saying whatever you're thinking. Um, and yeah. you're, you have to be like, or you don't have to be, you should probably continue to think that way, but it's, it gets a lot harder when more people are. It gets harder for sure. Um, but like imposter syndrome is like a great tool. Mm-hmm. I mean, most people are sort of like, or I, I myself have like held back um, from doing anything, you know, in, in any of like the areas of interest that I've had throughout my you know, life or career or whatever, just because like, oh, well, I need to go to school to do this or I need to. But if you can use imposter syndrome when you're writing your newsletter, it's a great tool because it forces you to like think about what you don't know and sort of kind of use that to to flesh out the questions of what you don't yet understand. Um, and that's great fodder for, you know, at least what I'm trying to do. And it speaks to you mentioned this a little bit throughout our conversation, specifically like this idea of just like learning, right? Like it's something that you're doing because you're deeply interested in this topic and you're trying to learn it for yourself and you're trying to make sense of it. And then you put that on paper and then maybe other people benefit from it. But like there is so much like intrinsic motivation there as well. Um, I mean, it's it's a it's a labor of love for sure. But uh, yeah, it's just it's been so rewarding. It's been so much fun. I never thought I would like be able to do this. And I, it, it, I have by any stretch of the imagination, it hasn't like kind of reached where I need it to be to like sort of make this a full-time thing. But yeah, it's been awesome. Is there anything you would have done differently from the early days of trying to build up your list, um, just knowing what you know now? I started, I had the initial idea in May of last year. So like just about a year ago and I started it and we moved from Brooklyn to Maine and I had to start my whole sort of get my my business up and going here. And so I took time off of there. Uh, I wish I kept going. I wish I just kind of kept going through because um, I took maybe like a four or five month like hiatus from from. And I mean, granted, I only had like 10 readers, you know, uh, at that point. So when I picked it back up, it was eventually it was essentially like starting over. But consistency is just like the thing. And I just, you know, I, I, I knew that going in. Um, I don't know. You, I'm not comfortable yet with like kind of promoting it and marketing it and sort of like, um, or, you know, kind of speaking up for myself, if that makes sense, um, in any way. So like, I'm pretty passive with, uh, the calls to action. Um, I'd like to get stronger with that. That one's, I think totally just like also a mental challenge for a lot of folks of just like, I'm going to promote this and I'm going to talk about it. It's going to be awesome. Is always a little challenging. Um, I will say, I mean, so we can talk a little bit more about um, your paid subscriptions as well, because you now you offer start offering um, Trip Report Pro in February, and um, and like that is just like a really in itself a very bold thing to do is to start asking people for for money, um, and uh, just love to hear a little bit more about like you know, why did you decide to go paid at that moment? Um, how did you how did you message that to your readership? I started. Uh, it was October 22nd or 23rd that I like kind of picked it back up um, with like 10 or 15 readers. It wasn't like a, there was a, there's a great little sort of group called Indie Mailer, which is like um, sort of like a, a, a paid newsletter sort of um, discourse group that I stumbled upon. And so um, 
somebody was like, why wait until you have, you know, X number of readers? Why not just start now? Um, you know, people who are going to value it are going to value it. And so I was like, huh, that's a good way of thinking about it. Because I, in my mind, I had this like, you know, number of how many sort of free readers I needed to get before I turned on the subscriptions. Um, but a few things happened, like my business, my acupuncture practice is just not going as well as I was hoping. So it was pretty slow. Um, and we found out that we we're pregnant with our second child. <laughs> so I, I needed to, I needed to make money. Um, I needed to at least sort of like contribute more to like the family and like, cause I was spending a lot of time doing this. So, so those are two things that are sort of unrelated to it. But, um, I sort of like after enough people are like signed up and, and, you know, I didn't know what a good open rate was, but when you and I talked, uh, uh, a few months ago and you sort of told me what a good open rate was, I was like, huh, I kind of have that. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> So I just kind of, it was a gut impulse. Um, it was, I think I announced it on February 2nd. So I just decided, okay, there, I'm, I'm on to something. People seem to like it. People are sharing it. People are showing up. That was, I think that was one of the reasons why I stopped posting it on social media was to see sort of how, what kind of organic growth it could have um, in, its, in, that, in the absence of, of my own sort of like sharing it. Um, and that continued to, to grow. So I thought I was onto something and um, I thought I had enough conversations with people who I thought were in a position to be willing to pay for it, right? They could sort of expense it in the company that they're building that's in this exact niche. Um, and so I just said in, you know, we're going, we're going pro. Um, There's a great Hunter S. Thompson quote. It's like when the, when the going get weird, the weird turn pro and um things were pretty weird. It was like, there were rumblings of like things out of China about COVID-19. Um, the world, you know, it hadn't yet sort of hit here. So it was like very fortuitous timing because, um, I asked people to, to come on board, um, uh, you know, a few weeks before that, before that happened, I kind of created like a, a call to action, like this is what I'm trying to do, right? Like, don't don't burn your dopamine system by, you know, crawling the web looking for for updates in the psychedelic space. I got you covered, um, and uh, and and did that for a few weeks. I think I I sort of had like a call to action right at the beginning and then right at the end, and then I started putting it at the end. Um, because I figured if people had read all the way to the bottom, they might be interested in that. I'm retooling how I'm going to continue to do that. Um, I haven't been as as aggressive in, in promoting the the subscriber um, content, but I've also talked to a handful of people who are like, "Oh yeah, dude, I keep meaning to do that. I just haven't done it yet." Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's how I, I. It was gut feel and life circumstances, and I want to commit to this. And if I give myself another two deadlines a week, then that's, that's enough motivation to like, write. And the sooner I start, the quicker I get to this being like 100% what I'm doing, like as a career. So I had the motivation of that to just to get, to get going. That's awesome. It's so bold. Yeah. I, just, I really love it. I'm also like painfully naive to like digital marketing and the, the, the media landscape. So 
there's definitely some like dumb luck and I didn't know what I was doing. I still don't know what I'm doing. I'm just like figuring it out as I go and sort of operating by feel. I mean, it seems to be working well. So it's, it's uh, your intuition is, is good. You have like one free post a week and then you have like two paid ones. Has that changed at all? Just how you've thought about writing for your broader readership and community and then now writing for this like smaller subscriber base? Yes. Yes. Um, I think about, well, I think about this all the time, right? I think about the, the business model that, and like how to, how to make it better and how to create a better product. I feel like, you know, if, if we were to translate this into a startup, sort of speak, where I'm still working on the product, it's kind of how I think about it. Um, and, and not as focused on marketing. So I'm doing more referencing and linking back to what I've already written and using that um, a little bit more. Um, if anybody reads, you know, Ben Thompson's Stratechery, he like he has this uncanny ability to like know what he said in like 2016 October. You know what I mean? He just like is able to link that. So I'm building. I'm trying to create a system where I can better sort of understand like what this bit of news relates to what I've already said about it and written about it. Um, and then what, what are the larger, I'm sort of these themes or concepts or evergreen topics that will be with the space, right? So for example, like this concept of open science is a, is a important issue and an important thing for people to understand in psychedelics. Um, and it's, it comes from a different sort of a different domain where, you know, science, social sciences are having a lot of trouble, like replicating, um, sort of foundational research. Um, and so this open science initiative was a, a way to promote sort of more of like the, the, the methodology and the process of the science and that's being advocated for in psychedelics, right? There's a, there's a, there's a, there's an ethos in the space of, of, of this open, um, collaboration, um, compared to, conventional pharmaceutical stuff where where it's very hyper competitive and you use patents to block competitors and stuff like that anyway that's like a topic that i want to figure out how to link to um with everything that comes through the news and so managing those three buckets of 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 information i think um i use the 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 paid subscribe subscription uh posts so monday and friday to write sort of more uh, long form thinking out loud. This is what, this is how this connects to this, which just happened to this, which connects to this topic and this theme is what I'm trying to do. Whereas the, the, the Wednesday for everybody is like, I'm just letting it rip, uh, with a little bit of that process and more sort of like curating news. So I guess the, to <laughs> the short version of that long rambling answer is like, uh, uh, the, the Wednesday, the free post is like more curation. And then the, the, the paid subscriber posts are more um, in-depth analysis, if you will. The more you write over time, then the more you sort of develop this like personal repository of knowledge and thinking over time. And you see like common themes and topics develop. And it's almost like it becomes more and more valuable over time as like you, that knowledge base grows. So just to sort of wrap up a little bit, um, given that you're in this very rapidly developing and interesting and exciting world of, of psychedelics, when you look back at this time in 10 or 20 or 50 years from now, um, what role do you hope that publications like yours will have played? I'm thinking of it, of it as like iterative sense-making, 
right? So we're kind of continually sort of like, you know, in, in, it's like circular learning. We're kind of coming back to themes and topics and ideas and processing um, new information and new announcements and, and sort of the growth of this space kind of in a way that like, it's almost like a, an ongoing time capsule, I guess. So that's how I, I think about that. And I don't know if that's like, a vi- if that would be a viable way of thinking about it. Um, you know, if, if, if somebody's like writing like a column for like the New York times or the Atlantic or something like that. Um, but I'm hoping that it's like one, like sort of, I, you know, if I can turn this into like, sort of like a, a, you know, sort of some sort of punctuated summaries of the last like six months or a year or something like that, or kind of use it as a, as a reference for writing a book or something down the road. Um, that's kind of how I envision. I definitely like you, you, you just said 50 years and I would, if I could be doing this in 50 years, that would be so radical. That'd be awesome. I love that. Um, yeah, yeah that's really great imagery <clears throat> to end on. Um, thank you for, for joining and, and chatting with me. Where should people find you if they want to check out your work? Oh, thanks Nadia. Um, so I'm at the thetripreport.substack.com. Posts come out on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And um, Twitter, which is, I guess I'm going to try to be a little bit more sort of active there, is uh, the Trip Report one at Trip Report, at the Trip Report one on Twitter. Um, so I, I'm really looking forward to sort of connecting with other Substack writers. This is like a great community you guys are building. And I'm like so stoked to, to, to that I'm like kind of involved with it. We're glad to have you. Thanks, Zach. Appreciate it.